Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no opportunities, just sheer hard work, to failing multiple startups yet learning a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine. I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, one percent a day sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives to Amazon, Microsoft, Forbes Technology Council, Harvard, Goldman Sachs, Financial Times, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is John Aiden Byrne. John is an award-winning journalist, editor, Broadway alum, podcast host of Dig Life Deep, as well as host moderator of Audion Capital Conversations with famed bank analyst Dick Beauvais of Audion Capital Group and Matt Van Alstein, co-founder and managing partner at Audion Capital Group. John, how are you today? Aziz, I'm really well. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited. Me too. I feel lucky, I feel blessed, and I feel ready to explore your mind. And so Hmm. I'll begin with this conversation. What these days seems to be a topic that demands your attention or a problem that you're trying to solve or an insight that you keep on thinking about again and again and again? Wow, that's dig, life, deep kind of material. Um, The economy our existential crisis, um, our social problems, the polarization in the world and the globe, war and peace, uh, breakdown overall in society and families, and how of all and how all of that can be re- repaired, and how they're all tied together, uh, preoccupies a lot of my thinking. I love that. Those are all topics that are fascinating and dear and and near to my heart. And therefore, let's begin with the crisis facing everybody. What's your expectation? What's your biggest fear that you think we're like a train moving towards the wall at high speed? What's that wall? And when do you think we will reach it? Wow. I mean, I don't want to come across as some kind of prophet or guru or um, a forecaster who gets it 100% right because that would be the height of hubris. Um, I've always felt that there's a train wreck coming and that train wreck will be driven by our global debt. I mean, just look at it. The debt we have in the globe today is far higher than we had when we had the financial crisis in 2008 in 
real <clears throat> in real terms, nominal terms, uh, statistically, whatever way you wish to measure that. So that's a real problem. And the odd thing, and maybe the eccentric thing to me, is that you don't really hear that discussed much on Wall Street. The, the, what you do hear discussed on Wall Street is servicing our debt. And it looks like, at least in the coming months, we may be able to service our debt. And maybe for the next several months, next year, I don't know, we'll service our debt and we'll, we will, in the meantime, enter recession and come out of it. But at some point, um, I think there's going to be a huge pileup, a huge wreckage. None of this is rational in my mind. So um, that, to go back to your earlier question, preoccupies me. Um, I hope it doesn't happen, but I mean, I fear it will. And if you look at the tensions, the geopolitical tensions in the world, and you look at them historically, much of them are rooted, if not them all, in resources and how we allocate resources. You go back to the First World War, to the Second World War, you go back to preceding wars, they're fought over resources which we are led to believe are finite. And I think a lot of the global tension today is as much political and social and cultural as is as it is over resources. And I think we got to manage them properly. And I think we have to manage, therefore, our global debt and do something about it. Thank you. And I understand that fully because the fact it's debt, it means in the future it has to be repaid. It's not sustainable to keep on adding more and more to it forever. There is like a limit where you stretch and beyond that things break. But just to present a counter argument to what you mentioned, I'm not saying this is what you believe in, that the resources are finite in this world. There are experts on abundance, that's what they call themselves, saying that if you look throughout history at every period where humans faced a true shortage of resources, in the end, some new technology emerged that changed the world and added a bunch of new ability to use those resources or a new resource that replaced the old one, etc. And therefore, they say, the future is much more positive and better than you think. What is your belief about this? First of all, I, I wish that um, that creative uh, resource uh, came today and was introduced into our global economy. First, I mean, let, let me just get get this out straight. I mean, I mean by nature, I'm an optimist, and and I believe. I believe in that concept that we can have great discoveries um, and we can offset a lot of our um, debt problems and how we're over-consuming, as, as it were, and you know, not dealing with these issues. I mean, you go back in recent history, uh, there were many people and, and, and groups in the world during the 60s said we were the world was overpopulated. Uh, we would run out of food. And then we had the Malthusian School of Economics, uh, which basically said we would cannibalize ourselves. None of that came to pass. 
uh, India as as one stark example had the green revolution and it you know it produced uh, an abundance of crops and uh, enough to feed itself but I, I think that's sort of a separate issue I think we're talking sort of in the present moment I, I don't think what you're suggesting there and what what some of these um, analysts are talking about um, works in the you know in this short term 12 month two year period and that's what i'm addressing here i think longer term yeah we'll sure we'll we'll, we'll we can deal with all of this and we can uh, multiply uh, our food production uh, we we can multiply um our energy resources uh who knows we may end up um having life on mars and where some of the human population will 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 we'll set up habitats there um but in the short term i i think we have a a real serious problem it it kind of reminds me that uh, abundant school of theory about the concept of modern monetary mon- modern monetary theory mmt uh, the idea that we can sort of multiply the mo- the money supply and and somehow get out of any um, resulting inflation and problems that causes economically. I don't see that working right now. I mean, now you hear people worrying about inflation and um, how we're going to pay that down. Look at the price of uh, gas at the pumps. And um, I guess the short answer is we need to find something imminently, and I don't see that happening. Thank you. I understand so you believe in the next 12 months or so there is a big, big, big issue and problem both with the economy as well as probably by caused by the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine and the shortage of grain and all that. And that human beings are not aware of the dire consequences of everything that will converge together very soon into a very bad scenario. Is this correct? Yeah, I, I think there's a huge imbalance between our resources and expectations and what we need uh, to deal with. And I think I think it's there's a high probability of more serious problems in the next 12 months. There's a heightened um, sense out there of risk and problems globally. I hope it doesn't happen, but and I hope the situation in Ukraine can be contained. I hope the recession is not as deep as it could possibly be and that it may turn out to be. Thank you. And since you're speaking to a lot of experts, analysts, and all that, what do you believe or you think is being done right now in order to mitigate or at least reduce the problem that we will face pretty soon with high probability? Um, well, you just take the U.S. example. The Federal Reserve has started to move interest rates up, and now it's talking about and has started to shrink its huge balance sheet. And um, let's back into that. The The Federal Reserve uh, got into um, the idea of buying an awful lot of bonds to fuel the economy uh, with liquidity and now we have something in the region of nine trillion on its balance sheet it now it wants to taper that so 
the direct action that's coming out of Washington is is twofold in that sense. They're raising interest rates and they're trying to reduce its uh, $9 trillion balance sheet, which it... Um, which was the result of the uh, COVID recession. It, it went into the economy during the height of COVID and, and, and pumped it up with liquidity. Now it's scaling that back. The question is, will it work? Will it work effectively? We'll have to wait and see. And at the same time, we know that Fed Cher- Chairman Jerome Powell um, has been talking a good game. Uh, and so has President Biden. They're in a sense, trying to talk down inflation, but um, and there's been, there's some evidence of that. But inflation now is running pretty white hot in America, over eight percent, and we see that also across the globe. And we'll see if central bankers around the world um, will take a nod from what's happening here in the U.S. in terms of monetary and at least in terms of monetary policy. Thank you. Some people might say, well. I'm just a normal person. It won't affect me in many ways. Maybe I'll go off grid and live in the woods or whatever it is. Or I live in a country that is distant from Wall Street itself and all that. So how will it impact the retail or normal person who is not investing into Wall Street and not doing anything that is directly impacted by the financial policy and the debt? kind of um, implosion and all that? Well, I think we see already how it's impacting mom and pops, the retail investor, uh, everyday workers, uh, folks who don't work on Wall Street, uh, middle-class wage earners, uh, poor wage earners. They're paying more at the stores for ordinary staples of goods. They're paying in the region of $5 a gallon uh, for gas, um, we hear how much savings have been accumulated through the COVID period in bank accounts. The problem there now is that inflation is eroding the value of people's money. So people are much worse off today than they were a year ago. And um, there's great fear um, that not only will people go from living from paycheck to paycheck, but the impact of inflation longer term will plunge more people, especially the poorer sections of our society, into dire poverty. So it's not a good picture in that sense. Thank you. And since you're aware of it, why aren't decision makers and people who can and do have the authority to at least move things in the right direction and with a big sway? Why aren't they taking those actions that could really make a big difference? Why do you think it's not happening as much as it could? Well, I think they've left it too late. Um, If you go back 24 months or thereabouts, uh, when we had the outbreak of COVID, we all know that the global economy faced serious risk of plunging into the deepest recession, an outright depression as big as anything we saw in the 1930s. Companies laid off people, people stayed at home. Uh, The economies globally were on the verge 
of seizing. We had supply chain disruptions and we still do. So central bankers around the world took immediate action. You could argue on both sides of this whether everything they did was right or wrong. They flooded the global economies with liquidity, essentially with cash. And here in America, and I believe in lots of European countries, they give direct payments to consumers so that they would have enough money to buy food, clothing, um, and, and keep and keep their uh, lives uh, up and running. And essentially, unemployment checks and so that they could you know pay their mortgages now of course that money has to be paid back at some time and the net impact of it of course has been inflationary so arguably the fed and the government is taking action at least in the united states by raising interest rates and by shrinking the fed's balance sheet the balance sheet of course being uh much of the accumulation of this uh, liquidity that it flooded the U.S. economy with to begin with. Um, are there other actions it could take? I, I, I mean, there probably are, but the scope is growing limited. Now, at the same time, it's fascinating to me that uh, the economy measured on other metrics is in great shape. I mean, we have close to full employment and we can't find workers in America. And the same repeats itself, you know, in Europe and across the globe. So on one level, you have this kind of a dichotomy of full employment, the economy measured by certain metrics in great shape. And yes, yet we have this massive overhang of debt. The Federal Reserve debt is now over 30 trillion. The ability to keep up with that is questionable. So, I mean, yes, the the government and the Fed are taking action. Is it is it enough? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Thank you. And this makes me very curious about you. As you know, this is not a financial podcast and all that. For you, what is your story of being fascinated and so interested in finance that you'll dedicate a big part of your life and interest to it? Uh, how did it start? Where did you see the value? And maybe someone listening through your same reasons could become even more interested in the financial sector and world, or I guess the next ne- uh, 12 months will force everybody to become interested. But for now, your story and reasons that moved you towards this interest. Oh, that's a great question, and I'm flattered and I'm delighted to to answer that. My career started in Ireland and uh, in journalism, and I left Ireland um, over three decades ago at the height of a very steep recession, and I came to Queens, New York, and uh, my wife and I, and in some ways, we started again from the very beginning. It wasn't easy at the at the start, and I um, I always tell people I I got my first break in a sense with uh, the family of a very famous American actor, Carol O'Connor. They ran an Irish American publication called The Irish Advocate, and I I worked for them briefly, and then I worked for um, other newspapers in New York, and ended up at McGraw Hill 
working for a financial publication called Securities Week. Um, I got into that um, in a sort of a curious way. I didn't have a massive background in finance and um, in economics, though I had studied economics and business in Ireland. Um, but I took that job and I, I was I ended up covering uh, Wall Street and the trading markets and sort of my fascination in, in money grew from that, having sort of moved from Ireland, the depths of a recession, come to live in Queens and, you know, I kind of identify with you in that sense, uh, you know, starting from the very beginning, I knew the value of money and how hard it was, uh, you know, uh, to, to, I, we struggled, I guess, but then eventually uh, we got on top of things very much, um, went from McGraw-Hill and, um, worked at several other financial publications. I ended up then at a magazine called Traders Magazine, where I was the editor for several years. That was a fun time. That was for the institutional investors, uh, portfolio managers, institutional traders, um, technology professionals in the trading markets. Um, And then at the same time, I started to do a lot of writing for... um, mainstream publications such as the New York Post business section. I still write for the New York Post. I've done a few pieces and for the um, Wall Street Journal and multiple other um, publications, not always on finance. Um, you know, I can, I've contributed Institutional Investor, uh, National Catholic Register, various publications overseas, started a pub, uh, started my podcast called Dig Life Deep up there on Apple out of a fascination and a curiosity for um, not only economics, finance, but our social trends and the existential crisis I see globally, which we kind of got into there. And then I... Um, started to uh, work with Odeon Capital Group on their top-rated Odeon Capital Conversations as a host. We're into episode 20 uh, with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein. And so um, that as well kind of um, heightened my fascination with uh, business and finance. And, of course, I, I came to Odeon Capital conversations with a background clearly in covering business and finance and 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 the podcast itself has just you know deepened further my my um my intrigue if you will with this whole area of what's going on in our world and in wall street uh, i suppose that sort of sums up to some degree my background in that whole sector thank you And for any listener who wants to get educated on the on finance, on the whole socioeconomic possibilities and disasters, etc., what would you recommend as foundational education and the place to begin in order to understand what's going on? And then, in addition, of course, to dig life deep, your podcast and the conversations um, on. Odeon that you're speaking about? Well, the one thing you got to remember about um, Wall Street, it's um, 
very heavy on terms and 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 a certain amount of jargon and and definitions and um quite um quite hard to grasp uh concepts but i would recommend several things um obviously listen to <laughs> Odeon Capital Conversations, dig life deep, um, get familiar with the stories and the content in the Wall Street Journal, tune into the the um, finance shows on cable, CNBC, Squawk Box, uh, the morning talk shows, um, listen to business analysts, um, get a couple of uh, good primers on understanding Wall Street. So at least you get some basics. Um, you'll get a grasp of the basics, like what what is uh, trading? What is, what is a stock? What is a bond? Um, you know, what is the Federal Reserve? What are interest rates? What does inflation mean? Um, what does portfolio management mean? What does an IRA mean? Um, and, and, and if you have the opportunity... Uh, talk to your stockbroker if you have um, an account uh, or talk to your wealth manager and, and they should walk you through a lot of these terms and make them a little more easily understandable. Thank you. That's fantastic. And if people want to listen to your podcast, can you share the links and I'll make sure to write them in the episode description. Yep, you can listen to Dig Life Deep. It's up there on Apple, Spotify, Google, um, Stitcher, all the good platforms. Same for Odeon Capital Conversations. Um, if anybody wants to reach me on social media, I'm on Twitter at John Aiden Byrne. I'm up there on Instagram at John Aiden Byrne. Um, Dig Life Deep is up on Facebook. I also have my own website. Um, at John Aiden Byrne, and um, I think I would happy to connect. I'm up also up on LinkedIn at John Aiden Byrne. Happy to have conversations with any of your listeners. Thank you so much, John Aiden Byrne. This was my privilege, my honor, a truly enlightening conversation. And I hope you know, whatever happens, it will be a wake up call to humanity to go on the right track. Thank you again. Thank you for having me on your show. I really liked this. Mm-hmm.